0: Greatest Choice podcast, where we dive into the topics of singleness, fertility, motherhood, and choice. I'm your host, Katie B. Every episode, I'll deliver conversations with women in their fertile years who are grappling with what to do when life doesn't turn out as planned. You will also hear interviews with experts in the fields of fertility, personal development, choosing single motherhood, and more. Join us as we explore these topics and support each other along the way. Because what you decide to do with these years could be the single greatest choice you'll ever make, and you don't have to make it alone. Hello friends, I'm thrilled to bring you this interview with Mecca, a successful single woman who had the rug pulled out from under her when she learned that she had significantly diminished ovarian reserve at the age of 36. Mecca went from considering fertility preservation to considering solo parenting almost overnight. In this interview, she shares her process over the past few years and what's next for her on the path to motherhood. This is one of my favorite conversations I've had. I feel so lucky to have had such incredible guests on this show, and this one is no exception. I hope you guys enjoy. Hi, Mecca. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Katie. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, so I know virtually nothing about you other than the little bits that I've kind of gathered on Instagram. So why don't you just start us Uh, whatever you perceive as sort of the beginning of this story and just tell us who you are and how you engage with this topic of single motherhood. Sure. I am Mecca.
1: I am 39 years old and currently live on the East Coast in the United States. I'm in New Jersey. And uh, the last, I would say, two and a half years have been a little bit of a roller coaster for me in terms of trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to do with That part of my life, and I say that part of my life. And if folks could see me, they would probably see me do air quotes because every other aspect of my life has been pretty much figured out. I am a type A workaholic, always dedicated and focused as it related to school and to work, always striving for the next promotion, always striving for the next assignment, flying all over the place for work or actually picking up and relocating my life as related to work so that area where i felt like i actually had control was exactly that always within my control the one area that i could never really figure out was that area which was love relationships dating and motherhood and in october of 2017 almost three years ago i went to a fertility doctor to have my eggs frozen and I thought like okay great I'm just going to go to the doctor I'll talk to them check that box and put these things on ice so that way I don't have to worry about that part of my life like I'll you know just continue to live my life the way that I have but I've got plenty of time I was 36 at the time so I I knew I had passed the 35 year threshold but I didn't feel a sense of urgency just yet but I went to the doctor and In that session, I had my blood work done, I talked to him, went in to have the ultrasound to check what was going on down there, and I just knew and I could sense something was different the second that we got into that room and we're looking at this ultrasound. And when we got back into the room so I could talk to the doctor about what he saw and next steps, he was very honest with me and said, I'm just going to... Tell it to you straight. You're not a good candidate for egg freezing. And before he could even continue and tell me why, literally, my heart just sank. And it took everything in me. I'm normally a big crier. Like I'm super emotional. I don't know what it was about that moment. What, that actually I held it together. But I could just feel like the tears welling up in my eyes and just stinging my eyes um, because I was just so taken aback. And As it turned out, he said that he only saw three follicles, and that blood work could confirm it, but he suspected that I had diminished ovarian reserve. He started asking a lot of questions about my mom and her fertility and her history, and it didn't even occur to me that my mom had actually had a hysterectomy at the age of 37, and I didn't really know all of the details behind that, but I knew that she had had it, but I didn't really know why, But from that point on, he's like, look, I feel like I'm gonna give you two weeks. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and speak to a fertility psychologist. I want you to think through what you would like to do. But I I unfortunately think if we're gonna do anything, we need to move quickly. If you want the chance to have your own biological children, I would say your best chance is to move forward with embryo freezing. And I literally am (laughs) sitting there in this office And Katie, I felt like I'd caught a bullet with my teeth. I was just, if I could have been like planted into the wall, I would have been planted into the wall. It was just, I'd never quote unquote failed at anything in my life. I'd always been an overachiever, always done really well. And it was definitely like a punch in the gut to hear, you can't do this even though you want to do this because you're not a good candidate. You don't qualify to do this. And so that's kind of where the light flip switched for me. And I decided to do my homework. And in two weeks, I really did a lot of soul searching and digging deep because I didn't have a lot of time. And I knew that I wanted to have kids, or at least I thought I wanted to have kids. But I think the thing that was really interesting for me was I never felt any pressure to have kids, especially because I was like I'm a metropolitan woman I'm working women are getting pregnant later in life like it's fine if I met someone at 40 whatever but when my doctor said that to me I finally felt like I was being stripped of something and having it taken away from you before you even have an opportunity to do it I never wanted children more in my life Is that, okay. is
0: that like- so It's been like a couple minutes since you kind of dropped the bomb and I'm physically still feeling like anxious about your news. Right. I just can't even, I can't even imagine. I'm so curious about, so you come home and like, what do you do? Like, do you talk to all your people? Do you go into a hole? Do you pray? Do you scream? Do you like drink a lot? Like, how do you, what, <laughs> how do you cope? Uh, so I, honestly, it feels like a
1: blur, but the slowest blur that I've ever been through.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. The hardest part for me was that because I was so busy with work, I had planned this session back in June. I have a big event that would happen. The job that I had at the time, the role that I had, there was a big event that would always happen in the beginning of October. And because of that, I knew that I was going to be traveling. I had a lot of things coming up and that I would not be able to have this consultation and actually move forward with egg freezing until after that big event in October. So in June, I remember saying, I am going to do all of the research that I need to do, talk to my insurance company and schedule this appointment. I had told all of my girlfriends back at home in New Jersey and in New York, which is where I'm originally from. I told all my girlfriends, I told my mom, I basically sent out an email. And I honestly, if I think back, I think the subject line of the email was like, kids on ice. I basically Uh like made it into this really cute thing. Like I'm going to finally do this. So everyone knew that this appointment was coming up. I also have had a roommate at the time. I was living in San Francisco, which is incredibly expensive and needed a roommate. Uh, So I had a roommate at the time who was home. It was a day, it might've been like one of those bank holidays, Columbus day or something like that, where We both had off of work and I came home and she's like, how'd it go? Just thinking like, no big deal. And I I was like a monster. I was like, it was awful. I don't wanna talk about it, do not ask. I went into my room and I stayed there for at least the next six hours. And finally she knocked on the door and she's like, I just, you don't have to tell me anything, but can I get you anything? you know, and I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. If you do want to talk about it, I remember going back out and sitting at that table and just sobbing, sobbing for at least a good 90 minutes. And she's consoling me, like rubbing my back without even knowing what happened. And I think because so many of my friends and my mom and my aunts knew about it, I felt embarrassed to have to say anything to them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was like the hardest part for me was not only coming to terms with my own fertility, but also feeling like I had to answer to folks who were so excited for me and like, yeah, you're finally going to take the step. And so I, it was a dark, dark time for, I would say those two weeks while I had to try and think about what it is that I wanted to do. It was pretty dark, a lot of crying, a lot of writing, a lot of just like being really pissed off and angry. I was kind of somewhat seeing someone at the time who was such an asshole. And, you know, so I was like reeling from that as well. It was probably one of the lowest points in my life, if I'm being completely honest.
0: Yeah, sounds terrible. (laughs) I'm so sorry. So then what, like, what did you do with that information? So
1: I went to... The fertility psychologist. I immediately the next day scheduled an appointment with the doctor that my fertility doctor had recommended, and was like, "I need to see you ASAP." So, yeah. within those first three to four days, I had an appointment with her and explained to her what had happened. And you know, she's like, "So what does this mean for you?" And I'm like, "Well, I want to have a baby, and now I'm, I feel like I'm being told that I can't." And So we spent about, my session was probably around 75 minutes and she asked me a series of different questions and she almost flipped it on its head. She's like, well, you know, have you thought about, you know, having a child through a donor? And I was like, absolutely not. I mean, that had never been in my thought process at all, but she kind of flipped it on his head where she's like, well, you know, for someone who likes to be in control, like yourself, it's actually pretty interesting because you get to pick and choose like, everything. You essentially get to design this process for yourself and pick a mate. Whereas, you know, if you were to meet someone, yes, you're choosing that person, but there might be things that you don't really like, or you you kind of just tolerate. Whereas this, you can actually say like, no, I want this specific criteria. And she clearly knew what she was doing based on my personality, because I was like, yeah, that's right. I get to actually take control of this. And so after that initial appointment, I think that I came out of it feeling like, okay, at least I, this is somewhat in my control. And I started thinking of it as a, hey, I don't know what's gonna happen over the course of the next few years, but just like my doctor said, this will give me the opportunity to preserve my right to become a mom if I so choose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Doesn't mean that I have to use these embryo Doesn't mean that I still may not find a partner. It's just, it's helping to give me more options. And once I started looking at it from that perspective, I feel like I started to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it was a struggle every day. And honestly, those two weeks, like I said, they were a blur. I saw the fertility psychologist. I signed up for one of the cryobanks and within that time period, went back to my doctor. He's like, what do you want to do? I was like, let's do this. And he always said from the very beginning, I think that if I can get you three embryo, I can get you one healthy baby. And so that was the goal. And so I spent like the next few weekends, like a college admissions person (laughs) going through every single piece of criteria possible on these donors until I found the right donor for me.
0: Okay, I, w- I want to talk about donor selection, but I want to just go back for just a minute because I think you're the only person in the season so far that's mentioned a fertility psychologist. And I think that that's such a valuable and kind of underrated resource. I also worked with a fertility psychologist. And for me, it, it opened up this huge sort of possibility. I was grieving at the, po- at the time because I had fertilized all my eggs with donor sperm and realized that I wished I had left the batch from one retrieval unfertilized. I was just sort of letting go of the idea that like I had anything left in the event that I do meet a partner. And then she started talking to me about the possibility of using an egg donor with, with a partner's sperm. And then in that case, I would have two children, each of whom had like one biological parent in the home and one donor. And how, how would that feel? And it just completely opened up, Something that felt so restrictive for me, and so in the second clinic where I am, those visits with the reproductive psychologist have been part of the package that I'd already paid for. But they didn't make it super clear that that was available to me until I was already like several months in. So I think wow. the point for listeners to just check in and see if their clinic has one, how much it would cost, if it's part of maybe a package they've already purchased. It was really valuable to me, and it sounds like it was to you as well.
1: Yeah, and to be quite honest, I've never known. I mean, it makes sense. There are psychologists that focus on every other aspect of life. It had just never even occurred to me that this would potentially be an option. But one of the things that I really respect about my doctor, he said, he's like, I will not move forward until you have this appointment and you speak with this doctor Mm. at least once. I need her referral, if you will, Mm -hmm. that you have talked about this and thought through your options and that you're essentially like not under duress.
0: Yeah, cuz you um, didn't walk in talking yeah. about donor you know conceiving with a donor like that kind of he put that on the table. So I think it's really right. good that that he had that in place. Probably protect right. him as well, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Wasn't a part of my clinic. I mean, I think that that's such an amazing benefit and a really huge value add. So, I mean, that would have been awesome if she were a part of the clinic, but I was really happy that I saw someone who could really just hone in and focus on the areas that I wanted and needed to focus on and talk through some of those decisions that I had to make. And so I know that for one of my girlfriends who has gone through this process, I recommended her doctor never said anything. I was like, you should probably find someone who is trained to talk about these things and just have a session. I think it will help and she followed through and she's like it's been invaluable and throughout her process she actually continued to see that doctor so i think that if it's on the table or even if it's not on the table asking the question is probably really helpful just Mm -hmm. because it it helps you to kind of unpack and think through some of those really challenging issues and help you grieve so much Mm -hmm. (laughs) um to your point you were grieving feeling like i should have left some eggs for my partner. And I was grieving the fact that I didn't have any eggs. And I almost kind of felt like no one's going to want me because I'm not going to be able to give them children. And, you know, I may not ever be able to have children and this is something I want. And so I think it was a really helpful and important step in the process.
0: Thank you so much for sharing about that. So let's skip back over to the donor stuff. So how, tell me about that process. How did you go about choosing a donor and just all the things? Yeah, this was really
1: interesting. I've seen and I've read a lot of stories about women who will have these like parties, you know, getting all their girlfriends together and almost kind of making it like a shower, if you will, of some sort. I wanted none of that. (laughs) Um, I was like, Absolutely not. So just as a little bit of context and background, I'm an only child. I have often had to do a lot of things by myself and I've been pretty independent most of my life. And my parents had me at a really young age. So granted, I love them and they're really smart, intelligent people, but I was actually the first in my family to go to college. They both have since gotten their degrees, but I was kind of the one who's like, you guys should really do this. I never had like the parent that was watching over me that's like, do your homework and you should do X, Y, and Z to get here. I've always been the one who would tell my parents like, hey, I need you to sign this form or tomorrow morning I'm waking up, my friend's picking me up to take me to do my PSATs or my SATs or I'm going to check out this college. Like I flew to Miami on my own. I went to the University of Miami for undergrad and I flew there on my own to check out the school. So I've always just been the type of person that's been really independent. And although I thought it would be cute and maybe fun to engage some of my girlfriends, I also feel like this is such a really important and critical decision that I didn't want their opinions to sway me based off of like what they would be looking for in a suitable partner for themselves. Most of my girlfriends are married, most of them have children, and like you've already been able to make those decisions for yourself and I'm the one that will have to live with this decision. And so I completely did it by myself. I went online, I started searching, and like I alluded to a little earlier, I felt like I was a college admissions counselor where I literally <laughs> took every piece of information that I could and read through every single word, line, every document that was available to me and kind of had like a yes and a no pile and narrowed things down. but. Before I even started with some of the qualitative, some of the like scientific data that was really important to me was someone who had the genetic counseling and then also someone who had agreed that they wanted to be an open donor. If I have a child, if my child decides that they want to try and find their biological father at some point down the line, I did not want to take that option away from them regardless of what my feelings might be i want them to be able to make that decision for themselves mm-hmm. and so those were the two pieces of criteria that were critically important to me but the genetic testing and choosing to have genetic testing was really important to me because when i was talking with my doctor he's like hey given the number of follicles that you have i don't know how many eggs we're going to be able to get at any given time for a cycle and because of that, I would recommend if we don't get X amount of eggs that we, after we are able to, if they're mature and we're able to fertilize them, that we freeze them on day two, which means you will not have the PGS genetic right. testing down the line, but the best chance of survival for an embryo is in a uterus. So we'll freeze it on day two if it looks good and if it meets the criteria that it needs to at that point. Mm-hmm. And then we're just going to transfer them in there and you'll essentially be like any other pregnant woman who will have to go through all of the tests to, to determine you know, the gender, all of that stuff. And so because of my diminished ovarian reserve, I wanted to have someone who at least had genetic testing and I had some blood work taken, met with a genetic counselor who then was able to guide me through what I should be looking for or not looking for as I'm going through the donor selection process, so that was a really interesting point for me because i I feel like a lot of women that I've engaged with or, or stories that I've read they'll have at least over the threshold of five eggs in a particular cycle, and even if it, it's whittled down, that was not the case for me. I got one egg each retrieval and I am so grateful to my doctor for even seeing me because in a world where yields exist and yields matter for a lot of fertility clinics,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I was not an ideal candidate. He could have like literally booted me on my ass and said, good luck. I'm not going to risk my stats for something that doesn't look very promising. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I remember after one of my retrievals, like thanking him and he's like, if I can't help women like you who actually like really need my help what am i doing this for why am i in this business and i was like you know what that's a really good point but i know that not everyone is as fortunate as i am to have a doctor who sees a bleak situation and is like come hell or high water we're going to we're going to do this yeah. um so i'm really really grateful to him but for a donor, I needed to have at least those two things. And then from there, it was like slice, dice. Like, literally, I felt like a ninja. (laughs) I'm just gonna chop it up and figure out the right configuration. And um, I narrowed it down to four men. You know, I was looking at family history, Myers-Briggs test, you could see a baby photo, but no adult photos, uh, which was actually fine by me. To be honest, I wasn't as concerned with ethnicity, which, I was surprised by, but for me, I was like, I want the best possible shot of having like a healthy baby, knowing that I can't really test this thing, and so I was like more concerned with the health and well-being of the donor, in addition to whether or not I felt like this person would be someone that my child could be proud of, mm-hmm. um, someone who actually took the time to like answer the questions thoroughly put in effort as opposed to just like phoning it in, if you will, and narrowed it down to four men. And then at that point I did a Google hangout with my mom who was (laughs) uh, across the country at the time. And I was like, I think I have my, I've made up my mind, but I don't, I just am curious what your thoughts are. I did not tell her where I was swaying, but I essentially took her through each profile and after she was like, oh, absolutely this one. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. Cause that's who I want to. And she's like, he's, he's the guy, like everything about him, just, it feels right. And once I had that confirmation from her, that what I felt in my gut was like the right decision, I hit by and I was totally offended because I was like, I cannot believe that all of the sperm that we women come across in our lives and i live in san francisco where it's like the city i feel like you know to be quite honest sometimes the streets are really dirty i'm like i'm probably hopscotching like, right. I mean, like like skipping over sperm in the street, yes. but yet I'm paying like $1,000 a vial mm-hmm. to ship this thing in a special cryo container. Right. That was a really interesting process. And I, I often make a joke about it with my friends. I'm like, but have you ever had to pay for sperm? Like,
0: right. no, yeah, absolutely. No man ever anywhere will ever know that I have spent $8,000 on sperm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that process. Your process sounds actually very similar to my first round. I've, I've had to choose three different donors. Um, oh, wow. yeah, the first time around I, I was very private about it and I kind of narrowed it down and I had my certain criteria and then I shared it with a few people, but sort of just so I could hear them say what I already knew, which was, this is, this is the guy. Yeah. And <laughs> then at that point he had almost run out of vials. So I had to buy vials that were kind of the wrong type for the procedure I was having and, Um, ran out very quickly. And then I had to go back to the drawing board again. And then, and then again after that. Um, But I'm super happy with my third donor. Like you said, the most important thing is just that vibe of like, I think this is a good human. I think this is a person that I will have no trouble maintaining like a weirdly like emotional relationship with who I think he is, what I think he's doing in the world. Like that, that my kid got some things like there, I could make a list of things like I hope my kid got from him that I definitely don't exhibit, you know? And so that just, that feels really good. The negative of that is that I didn't do my homework with, I changed banks from my first and second to the third, and I didn't do my homework about family limits. So my embryos already have a large number of uh, half siblings.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah that that is, um, really crazy. I think mine is, you can have a few, I, I've done a little bit of stalking, which I don't even know that I've told my mom about who is, who I usually tell all these things to, but my cryobank has like a Facebook group and you can put in the donor yeah, number. I did the same and- thing. And I was like, ah, delete, delete, delete. Like, I don't want to know. <laughs> right. And so I did end up finding a donor sibling for my embryo that aren't even here, which is really, really wild when you think about that. But I'm like, this guy is such a good guy. I find it hard to believe my baby wouldn't end up having lots of siblings if it they end up in viable pregnancies. So we'll see. I don't know that I'll do any more digging for years to come. I feel like I need to just kind of wrap my head around my own process and actually have a baby but it is a really weird thing that I'd never really even thought of until uh, a friend of mine mentioned it because she is a choice mom and actually had a meetup with a dibbling I guess is what they call them for her son and I was like oh I wonder if and that's what kind of sent me down that rabbit hole, but I was, to your point, I was like, ah, okay. I already know too much information. (laughs) Good to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine for now. Yeah. So I'll circle back on that in a few years. Yeah. Same for me.
0: Circle back later. I have no idea how I will feel about it, but when I do still have occasional sessions with the reproductive psychologist, it's always about that. Like that's the thing that I feel like I need to get more clear because I, I truly, truly believe that our kids will, accept and understand and sort of feel as weird or as comfortable with that whole situation as we are and as we convey to Right. So I really feel like part of my work before the time that my kid is old enough to understand is to like get in a better space with that. I feel certain that that will happen for me and it's something that I'm actively working on. But yes, that is to me, the hardest part of this process has been accepting just that piece of the non-traditional way that I'm doing it.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Because it it's not 100% your own or at least mm-hmm. that's the way that I felt. It's like this is my process and it's a very personal process, but then and I guess just the way in which it would work normally, whatever normal is, is you know, if I were to meet someone, hopefully he's not out there having a bunch of other children, it'd be like our mm-hmm. children. Right. And so it's the one part of the process that doesn't feel like my own and I don't have control over it because, you know, it's not like a one and done situation. And it's, it's a gift and I, w- I won't call it a curse, but like, it's a, it's a gift in that other women also get to hopefully, you know, have the realization of, of creating their own families, but you know, it's also kind of like,
0: right. Yeah. And
1: on my own territory.
0: <laughs> I think part of just adulthood in general, and certainly the time that we're living in right now is just all of us sort of, better understanding our identities and especially like the layers of privilege in which we, we live. Yes. And something that I never considered a privilege until I started to go through this process was like, I can draw my family tree from scratch. Like I know all my people, I know their names. I know where they lived. I know what they did. I know, you know, and the fact that like my kid is going to have these question marks, that's just something that I don't know how that feels. And I don't know right. how to parent, a kid who's having big feelings about, how that feels to them, you know? And I don't get to decide if it's no big deal to my kid or if it's a really big deal to them or if they consider these people family and siblings or if they're just like strangers on the internet who happen to share DNA, like I have no idea. And I don't get to frame that up, I don't think for my kid. I mean, I think my strategy, and this is all coming from, I'm not even pregnant yet, but you know, just being as open as possible, answering questions and sort of taking my kid's lead um, in terms of how interested they are and what questions they have. But I have heard from women in groups and, and conversations that I've observed where they're like, no, it's absolutely your responsibility to introduce your kid to their their donor siblings and their that side, because how would they even know to ask? And like, are you going to withhold them from their aunts and uncles or their grandparents that are on your side? So it's just very... It's very messy in my head. See, this is why I need the psychology. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's so interesting that you bring up that aspect of things um because one of my hobbies has become over the course of the last few years is genealogy. I did the ancestry and the 23andme just because I was curious about my own background, you know, as a black woman I, and I you know, I grew up in the United States, my parents have been in the United States for a while. I'm African American but I didn't know where my my roots were in Africa and so I wanted to know and I wanted to understand a little bit more about myself and I did know know, on my dad's side there is some mix so when I saw you know that I'm roughly around like 20 percent Irish and British like it was no surprise to me because I do know how that lineage falls but I I I'm a marketer by day. If I could do it all over again, I'd probably be like a forensic genealogist (laughs) or something because I just love this stuff. And there's actually a show on television where it's like a genetic detective who is solving cold cases. And she started by helping to reunite families through adoption and things of that nature. And it got me thinking, wow, okay, so if I don't have this conversation, if at some point you know, because I am in the process of doing my own family tree, and if at some point my child were to submit this DNA, what would pop up for them? And would it be like all of these half siblings? So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's something that I've definitely thought a lot about just because of my own interest and just my own personal family history.
0: Mm-hmm. My donor is an only child, and his mother is a genealogist. Like, I think by trade, like, I think that's oh my gosh, her, that is so that's listed cool. as her profession. So, I'm like, she, I can't imagine what she's thinking about all this because probably at this point, I don't know how long he's been donating, but I'm assuming any kids so far are babies. They probably aren't in any kind of system. But yeah. at some point, there's like 18 years from now, there's going to be some sort of explosion. <laughs> I hope this woman is still alive, and I hope she like maps it all out. Because right. This yeah. Is really fascinating.
1: <laughs> that's really cool though. Yeah. That's the other thing too. So I ended up my donor is white. And as it was listed, you know, he has his ethnicity listed, but I'm still curious about my own child. Like what is my child really, what is the makeup of my child going to be given my oh, background wow. and you know, where I'm from and where he's from or, you know, where his ancestry lies. So it it will be really interesting to see. And that was something that was just so different. I I feel like my family has been super supportive of that. But one of the things that I think is really interesting for black women who might be interested in finding donors who are black, there aren't that many to to start with. And it really narrowed it for me at the very first step, which was, are you open to being contacted or not? Yes. Most of them who are actually in the system are like, No. And I can see it in my head. They're probably like, hell no. I don't want any family coming after me, you know, 18 years down the line. And I get that. And I respect that. And so that was also something that I had to like come to terms with and kind of grieve a little bit. Like in my head, I actually remember saying and talking to one of my aunts about it. I was like, even though I've dated a lot of different men, I'd like to say United Nations, I like who I like. But I've always seen my children in my head, my my babies are black. I'm like, my babies are brown, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. And my aunt's like, well, you do know that you are black and therefore your babies are still gonna be brown. Like they're still gonna be black. Like, you know, they just right. may not be all black. And so I had to, I was like, you know what, you're right. Yeah, you're right. They're still going to be, they'll still be a reflection of me in some way. But that was something that was really interesting. And I know, I feel like a lot of black women either given access or privilege or whatever, don't really, do this and/or don't talk about it as much. And so, as a Black woman, I, I feel like it's important to, you know, share my experience for others who might be interested and, and curious and thinking like this is exactly what I want. It, I had to really kind of reimagine what it looked like for me.
0: Yeah, I, I had a lot of a lot of stuff come up as well with just thinking about race and 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 donor conception. So I was seeing someone and my story started very similar to yours where I was just going to go in, freeze some eggs, check off that box and then carry on with life. Right. And I was right around the same. I had just turned 37 and I was dating someone, but it was very new and pretty like slow going. Like there was just this sense, yeah, maybe we'll end up together, but not, we're not moving in together in six months. Like we're, this is going to take a while. And and he was black. And at the time I wasn't, I mean, I was just freezing eggs. Right. But then. Right that didn't go very well. And I got into this, we ended up breaking up because I was so panicked about all the fertility stuff. And I started doing IUIs, but I was still kind of seeing him, like we were still kind of trying to figure out like what he knew what I was doing. And, but my first donors, my first two donors looked very much like they could have been my brother or like a family member and not at all, like anybody had ever, I've never in my life dated someone with blue eyes, never, not once, <laughs> it just isn't who I'm attracted to, you know? Right. And so I just was like, I, it, it feels very like designer baby where I'm like genetically creating like a, my last name is Brian. I'm like, I'm creating a Brian, but I would never have had one in the wild. Like that's not what my right. kid was gonna turn out looking like. Right? right. And so I ended up, I didn't put the filter for race at all on, on my searches. And I did have a a black donor that was like very in my top several, but I really just thought about like, am I equipped to provide that support for that kid in this, because they're going to have this experience that is not something that I've experienced. And so on the one hand, I can look at like, given my dating history, there's a good chance that if I end up with someone it could be a black man. And, and I would love for my kid to look like they could be like biologically ours just to like kind of simplify things. Right. But then if that isn't, if that doesn't happen, then am I adding a layer of complication? And so I really, I talked a lot with the guy and it's funny because what he said was, he was like, you know, I know you would try really hard and like make sure that the kid had diverse experiences Mm -hmm. and, and all of that. But I just think that, you know, part of, from his perception, part of being black was that there are a lot of things that are hard and the thing that is good is that there's just this camaraderie and community. And he's like, you know, I walk in the room and if there's one other black dude in there, like, we're, they you that, you know, house. and he's like, are, are you going to be able to get, get your kid in enough spaces where they feel like they're part of that? And right. just kind of warned me how hard it was going to be and how different it would be than the two of us like doing it together. Right ultimately it was hard for me because he really was like one of the best donors I found. But I just was like, I don't, I don't feel like I can do this justice. But
1: yeah. And it's just so interesting to me that like, it's the one area where I'm like, I didn't have to worry about that because I, because as my aunt said, no matter who I choose, my child is going to be black. And you know, Mm -hmm. even if they are lighter skinned, they probably will still be black appearing you know Mm -hmm. in some way shape or form or not white appearing i guess i should say so that's something i didn't have to think about and it actually is upsetting that like there's someone that you would want to choose because they to your point it's that vibe like someone that you feel like your child would be proud to be a part of and to have to make that decision that's that's so disheartening but at the Mm -hmm. same time as a black woman knowing and understanding what it's like I also get it and I understand and I respect it. And I think it would be a lot because it's hard enough to think potentially I may be raising my child without a father or father figure for some time. And I'm already taking some of those things that they may just learn or understand from having that male figure and adding another layer of complexity of something that is completely outside of your wheelhouse and that you don't understand is really challenging especially taking that on as a single choice mom. And so right. I, I, I totally get it and understand and respect where you're coming from. But I had never really thought about the fact that like, I did not have to, I, I was free to choose whoever I wanted because of the fact that regardless, they'll somewhat look like me or appear to be like me. And so I wouldn't have to think through like, you know,
0: Right.
1: but I have thought about as far as dating, what it would look like, because like I said, I mean, I've dated a lot of different types of men. And at the time I was dating someone who is Latino. And so, you know, it's like, I like who I like. And, and as I've thought about it, I just hope that if I do end up meeting someone, anyone, obviously that I date, if I do have a child, it's going to have to be comfortable with my right. child and the fact that we come as a package deal. And if they're not, then they're not the person for me and they can scram. So. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, let's get back to your stories. So we talked about choosing a donor and then, so walk us through like, your first retrieval and where it went from there? Yeah.
1: So my consultation and like fertility doctor, fertility psychologist appointment and choosing a donor, all of that happened throughout the second half of October and early November. And so in November, like mid-November, roughly around Thanksgiving is when I started my first retrieval. Ultimately, if you remember, the goal was we want to get a three embryo. And so I didn't know how long that was going to take me or at that time that I would literally be getting one per cycle. So I basically started on the protocol. It was interesting in a different protocol and that we were optimizing for quality, not quantity, because we knew that he could tell obviously by doing my ultrasounds that it wasn't like I had like a bunch of follicles. So my protocol was a little bit different, but I was on all of the same meds, just dosing was uh, different. Like the typical things that you might be on, like Gonal F and Menopur, which is the one that burns like hell every single time.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, so that was definitely an interesting process. At the time I was living again in California and I work for a tech company and I had a really long commute probably like an hour and a half each way on one of those shuttle buses all of the major companies like the Googles and the Facebooks of the world have like shuttle buses that take their people back and forth from the city to the suburbs where the campuses are and so I had to tell my manager. I like made the decision to have a conversation. It was a woman with three kids. I love her so much. I would work for her out of a garbage bag. She's like the most (laughs) amazing person. And even though she's only probably like seven years older than me, she's just got this like motherly, maternal nature about her. So I was very honest with her and I told her what was going on just because one, I was an emotional wreck. I just, I really didn't know how things were going to happen. Two, with my commute and like timing and, and doctor's appointments and being able to, you know, have those those checkups and get blood work done. Like I had to make sure that my schedule could accommodate that. So I didn't want her to think I was like looking for another job or something by like constantly needing to be in late or right. work from home. And she was really supportive and having her support was really awesome. The first retrieval was like really exciting um, because it was my first time, but I was getting a little nervous. I remember I started around Thanksgiving and I was getting a little nervous because all I wanted to do was go home for Christmas, but your cycle is your cycle, these things happen the way that they happen, and so I was like, I just really hope that we can have this thing so that way I could go home because I didn't, I hadn't made a single plan for going home for the holidays, and so thankfully, I think we, the, the first retrieval was on either like December 16th or 17th, so I was able to like schedule my trip home for the holidays and just like start on my next cycle. I got one egg um, and it was mature enough to fertilize. So they fertilized it on day two. It had split the way, like all the things they tested for, division, fragmentation, segmentation, all of that stuff looked really good. So they're like, we're going to freeze it. We'll put it in the straw and let's just start the next. And so basically over the course of the next seven months, that's how it was. It was like, I would do a retrieval, get an egg If it were mature, it would be fertilized. And then it was like, I was starting on birth control to, to, Mm -hmm. you know, like three weeks of birth control to like figure out my cycle and and doing whatever I needed to do to just get the next cycle going. I did not get a period. So they had to like force all of that stuff, manipulate and control to make sure they knew where I was falling during my cycle. I was like hopped up on, I feel like all the meds, emotional basket case, bloated, uncomfortable, also going through this, like, really shitty, I don't even want to call it a breakup, because I'm like, was I ever really in a relationship with this guy? It was a situationship. And during my first cycle, I remember him coming over to my house and seeing the the meds, like some of the meds, not even all, but just like the bag and like the red container that they give you for your needles. And he was like, can you like put that somewhere that's just so unattractive? And- Ugh. Yeah. I was like, oh God, you have got to go. You are the biggest asshole. (laughs) So I was just like going through that. And I started at the time seeing like a regular psychologist and every Friday I would make time to see her. Her name is Hannah. I love her and I miss her now that I'm on the East coast and I'm no longer seeing her. She really helped me to develop a lot of self-love and self-worth and respect for myself. So that way I could get rid of that toxicity Mm -hmm. and focus on what was most important which was at that time trying to get as many embryos bank as many embryos as i possibly could and so i had six total cycles the first one we were able to freeze an embryo the second one the egg wasn't mature so we did not get an embryo the third we got one and froze it the fourth we did not the cycle the fifth cycle after that was canceled because my ovaries we did everything that we needed i was going in for all the stuff i was doing the shots and my ovaries were just like shot they weren't producing anything so i took a few weeks off just to kind of give my body a rest then started back on my last cycle and that last cycle which was june the beginning of june of 2018 i got my last embryo it was mature enough to fertilize and we froze it however my doctor was very honest he was like it's not the, I was 37 when I got that one. He's like, the two that you got when you were 36 were much better than the one that you got when you were 37. And so the interesting thing is I have the three and he's like, we're doing all of them at one time. And I was like,
0: what? (laughs) That's crazy. Wow. That does sound crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's like, look, the likelihood that all three of them are viable is so slim to none. and he always said from the beginning, I think three embryo will get you one healthy baby. And so he's like, we're going to put all three in. I highly doubt that, especially that one when you're 37 is going to be viable at all. Just the way in which it looked, he's like, because it fertilized, we froze it, but it didn't, you know, didn't look that great.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: he's like, we could either do all three or we could do two and one where we would do one good one and the bad one. And then like, leave one good one. But um, he's like, I really, honestly think we're like one and done. And I love my doctor. He has always been very honest with me. He's always like steered me in the right direction. I have referred so many of my girlfriends that lived in San Francisco. I was like, go run, like,
0: yeah. do
1: not collect two hundred dollars. Do not like, yeah. just run there
0: and get. it. Yeah, sounds amazing. That's very rare.
1: Yeah, and so I have girlfriends who, two of my friends, had babies both in April from seeing him, and I know that. He's not like, I want to increase my odds. He really is, like with other women, it's like, no, we're doing one. Why would we ever do more than one? Like, so you
0: I want to give him a shout out just in case anybody's in that area. Yeah. And looking. What's yes. Name? If you are in
1: the San Francisco Bay Area, Dr. Nam Tran, T-R-A-N, he's at Spring Fertility. To be honest, all of the doctors at Spring are amazing. The clinic has actually grown over the course of the last couple of years, but it was started by Dr. Tran and another doctor, Dr. Klatsky. They're amazing. Like I would roll into the room and they'd have like tribe called Quest playing for me. Like <laughs> That's I mean, awesome. just they're like, The coolest dudes. I really, really love them. So spring fertility, they've added a a bunch of new amazing doctors, but Dr. Tran is my man. And like I will tell anybody, like everyone knows, they're like, You're crazy. You're flying back to California to have your embryo transferred in California during coronavirus. And I was like, (laughs) Because Tran is the man. That is like he is the end all be all. So he's never steered me in the wrong direction. He's always been very honest with me and my plan has worked exactly the way in which it's said we've yeah. done exactly what we had set out to do. And so for that, I'm really appreciative.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's great because now you're at a point where saying, Oh, we're going to do all three embryos at once. Like that might raise some eyebrows from various other people, but you've had such a good consistent relationship with him that you trust his judgment on that. That's great. So is that the plan? All
1: yeah. So in June of 2018, I stopped, I got my three. And so that was kind of where I was at. And also one of the things that I should mention, because a lot of the times the stuff is incredibly expensive. I am super incredibly blessed and fortunate working for a major tech company. A lot of the tech companies have wonderful fertility benefits. So I have benefits through a company called Progeny. The way in which they do it at my company is based on bundles. So like each part of a process throughout any fertility treatments are a, a portion of a bundle or a full bundle, and you basically can use your three bundles however you want. And so I was able to have those cycles. I think the things that I came out of pocket for were the sperm, which is why that's so disrespectful, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and meds up until I met my like deductible. But I essentially had multiple cycles back to back, and I could tell you, I don't even, I've rarely seen a bill. Storage, most of those things have been covered. And so I am incredibly grateful and blessed and Mm -hmm. I have about half a bundle left. And so I'm going to have this transfer with this bundle. Of course, I'm paying for certain things because I am on the East coast and have to have some outside monitoring, but basically in about two years ago, got my three and then everything that I did from Summer of 2018 up until now has been in service of having this embryo transfer. I got another role at work, so I'm still with the same company, but I transferred jobs to ensure that I had something that was a little less stressful, knowing that like I want to become a single parent. I moved back to the East Coast to be closer to my parents and to my friends. So I, I typically work out of New York when we're not in a global pandemic, and I live in New Jersey and I bought a home in New Jersey to make sure that I had enough space and a nursery for a baby. Uh, so everything has been in preparation for setting myself up to become a single mom. And so the time is now. I have been in the process of prepping my my lining. Um, so I've been on estrogen for the last two months. Dr. Tran, he's like, we want to make sure that this lining is frothy. And I was like, oh, that's so, <laughs> like, that's so gross. But here are you, like, let's do it. And so, yeah, so I've been you know, chatting with my nurse, Laurel, who's also amazing from spring. And so meds are showing up sometime next week. I went to the pharmacy this morning to pick up my birth control, which I start on Wednesday. My saline sonogram is scheduled for a week from tomorrow. And I fly out to California on the 12th for an estimated transfer date of August 28th. So It's all happening. We're going to put those three in there. And hopefully by mid-September, I will know if this worked. It's exciting and scary, but I am really excited. I'm also (laughs) terrified, but I feel like I'm at the stage. I'm 39. If this works, I will be having a child at 40. And I just want to know if this will work, because if it doesn't work, to your point, One of the things that I would explore would potentially be donor eggs. Maybe I would give dating a whirl again and see if maybe donor eggs with the partner sperm. But I just, I'm tired of waiting. I feel like I've done everything else that I've wanted to do in terms of setting myself up in my career, traveled. I have wonderful friends and family who are incredibly supportive. And I know that it's going to be challenging. Um, I can't even imagine how challenging it will be, but I'm really excited to just embark on this journey. And I feel like everything that I hear from women is just do it. Don't wait, you know, like if anything, I wish I would have done it sooner, you know, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to move forward with it at this stage. And so I'm just going to go for it.
0: Yeah. I get the sense from you. I mean, with a lot of women, I kind of think like, oh my gosh, do they know what they're about to get into? And I'm worried that they're like, not, worried enough about how hard it's going to be. And when I hear you talk about like just how much forethought and how much you've kind of put into this, I'm like, I feel like this is going to be easier than you think it is. Like, I feel like, I feel like you're going to be okay. You know, I hope <laughs> so. Been so thoughtful about all of it. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to tell. Like we all know we're signing up for something that a lot of people think we're insane for doing, but I think you will do it very well.
1: So. Thank you. I'm super excited. And I hope so. Like I literally just refinanced my house one, because even though I've only been here for like maybe nine months. Coronavirus, great interest rates. But I did it because I was like, oh, I can save like an additional $250 a month. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put that towards a baby nurse, like everything that I can do, every way in which I can be thoughtful. And this is probably that type A, like really kind of ridiculous, overzealous part of me that is excited for this like baby. But I think this is where it actually will work for me just being thoughtful about those things and trying to prepare myself as best as I can. Obviously when the baby comes home, it's like game over, whatever. (laughs) I'm in (laughs) service of them. I feel like I've been thinking about it and talking about it and planning it for so long. Now that the time is here, I'm just really excited and, and praying that it all works out. So yeah.
0: We've been talking for a while and I, I want to respect your time, but I do just want to ask, like, is there anything else that we haven't talked about? Any things that you want to like make sure to express? Yeah.
1: So, um, the first thing I would just say is for women, I just, I don't, I wish that I would have known to even ask questions about my fertility because it, I'm not having a child only because I'm single at the age of 39. I am doing it This way. It's not like I'm going through IVF because of that. I'm doing it this way because my fertility is shot regardless. Even if I had met a partner, I would still most likely be needing scientific intervention in order Mm -hmm. to get pregnant. And I just didn't think that that was an issue at all. Like it just wasn't on my radar to even ask any questions about my fertility. And so if there were any piece of advice, um, I would say as you start getting older, you know, approaching 35, you know, you hear 35 being kind of like that threshold age, just ask questions, you know, like ask your doctor, like, what is AMH? What is FSH? What do those numbers mean? Should I be doing blood work to test for that stuff? You know, I just, I didn't even know to ask and I just wish that I would have. And something that I've told to a lot of my girlfriends and a lot of friends of mine, colleagues that I work with and folks, um, that I thought might be interested in hearing this information. Like I've I've told a lot of my friends on the the West coast about my experience and what I went through. It was like, I don't know what your insurance is like, but talk to your insurance and just find out like what it takes to have a consultation just to know what you're working with just so that you can have the right information to make informed decisions. What you decide to do with that information, you could find out your fertility is great. So you're like, great, I'll see you in a couple of years or maybe I'll never see you again, but at least you know what you're working with. Had I known at 33 that by 36, I would have diminished ovarian reserve, perhaps I could have frozen my eggs and then given myself more time to find a partner and
0: mm-hmm.
1: move forward. Or maybe I wouldn't have had to have so many retrievals because I would have had eggs that I could have just then fertilized and transferred. So it's just, I just wish that I, I would have had the foresight or just even to know to ask these questions. So that would be like my first thing. The second thing is just finding community. It is such a unique experience. And I don't know a lot of my day-to-day girlfriends. Like most of my girlfriends have done things the traditional way in terms of getting married, having children with their husbands. And they don't necessarily always know. I mean, they have the best of intentions and they're super supportive, but just like knowing what to say, knowing what it's like to have to go through shots, just any of those things. So I would say like, the best thing for me has been creating this Instagram account, which I did just recently, Mm -hmm. but I realized that I didn't want to go through this alone. Like I, am really grateful that I have such wonderful friends and family, but to be able to speak to someone like yourself, who has your own story where there are a lot of similarities and also a lot of differences, but being able to, to talk about it, to have someone understand what it's like, Um, just building a community, whatever that looks like for you. I think that's really important. It means a lot more to me than I even knew that it could mean. So I think that that is really important. And then the third thing, which is kind of like an extension of that, which we spoke about earlier, is like investigating and exploring fertility psychology. Having an expert who is trained to ask the right questions when you're considering going through this process, even if you are in a partnership with someone. I think fertility treatments, IVF, IUI, it's a lot of wear and tear on not only your body but also your emotional and mental capacity. So I think exploring those options and seeking help from someone who is trained to help you to work through, process, grieve, think through is probably like one of the best
0: investments.
1: And so I would highly encourage anyone who is interested in having that like third party help and support to, to reach out to and find a fertility psychologist or ask their fertility doctor if they're someone that they recommend.
0: Yes, I, I definitely agree. You are not alone.
1: That is the one thing that I have learned. And so if anyone out there is listening and wants to connect, you can find me on Instagram at the path to mama, M-A-M-A. I would love as many friends as possible um, because I'm here to, support and share and learn and grow with all of these amazing women out there
0: yeah Um, well i'm so glad to have you on the podcast thank you so much for being willing to do this no it's
1: been it's been a pleasure and i just thank you so much for your time and for being willing to hear my story and also for just creating the space for women it's really really critically important and i'm sure making a huge difference for a lot of women who might be on the fence or have questions or are looking for community
0: so thank you so much thank you have a good night you too take care Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the single greatest choice podcast. I'm your host, Katie B. You can learn about me and this project on my website, singlegreatestchoice.com. That's also the place to go. If you're interested in being a future podcast guest, if you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to rate and review in iTunes that helps more women to find our show until next time. I'm sending you all my love and support as you go about making the choices that will create a life you love.